Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Jesse Wenty. Hello. Hello. Broadcaster, writer, director of the Indigenous Screen Office. Yeah, those are all guilty. Yeah, those are all true. It's very good to have you here. We are going to talk today about the fact that Canadian journalists have broken the internet by all hitting the Wikipedia page for Wet'suwet'en at the exact same time. <laughs> Look up those pronouncers, people. <laughs> Hope I got it right. We're also going to talk about the fact that Lil' Kim Campbell has released a diss track called Trump a Motherfucker. You just going to take that, Mr. President? Very glad to have you here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Bailey Nicholson, Josh Scott, Sarah Coward, Amanda Allen, Audie Vive, Serena Gray, Jake Catterford, and Christopher Windsor. Hi, my name is Christopher Windsor, and I'm an auto worker from Windsor, Ontario. I support Canada Land because when skilled people do good work, you pay them for it. As someone living in a border town, I appreciate you and your team keeping me well informed on Canadian issues that I may not have been paying close enough attention to. Thank you. And as I mentioned, this episode is brought to everybody by Audible. Audible has the best audiobook performances, the largest library, the most exclusive content curated by and for Canadians. Just looking for a book to recommend, people check the audiobook version of. And we came across Right to Dream by David Lynch and Christine McKenna. You a David Lynch fan? I am, yeah, big time. I am a huge David Lynch fan, and yet I find the man himself just a complete mystery. This like Midwestern dad kind of just like, oh shucks, golly gee whiz, like what makes this guy tick? Where do all those visions come from? I think that's purposeful. He's looking for that. <laughs> 
I want to know. Does he finally open up? Uh, this is a book, and he does the audiobook version as well with Christine McKenna. Yeah. And he, he talks about, I mean, some of these movies just like Mulholland Drive and Blue Sure, sure, sure. But I thought the straight story. I want to hear, like, what is the story behind the straight story? That's an excellent movie. Yeah, absolutely. And he has a voice you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So I that makes the audiobook very intriguing. Yeah, for a creative genius madman, it's it's like dad. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyhow, check it out. Uh, start a 30-day trial, and your first Audible book is free, and that is one you can have for free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. That is audible.ca slash Canada. All right, Jesse, this is unfolding as we speak, and mm. we're recording on Wednesday. By tomorrow, who knows what's going to happen. This story coming out of Wet'suwet'en territory, I first learned about it from APTN, mm. and this is no surprise. This camp has been there for a while. They knew this was coming. The story I first read, and I think this was the first coverage of it, was that the Wet'suwet'en chiefs were saying, if the RCMP come into this territory and take down our blockade, that will be an act of war. Yeah. And that actually, you could read that as like saber rattling and very, you know, that's very severe, but actually it's a preventative. I read it as a preventative measure. And it was interesting to me that, you know, the storm clouds were gathering for a long time and they knew this was coming and we didn't see major media pick up. And in fact, I think a lot of media were caught flat footed and are just scrambling now to get their takes together. I know you have a lot to say about this. (laughs) And you were in fact speaking yesterday at, at a rally in support. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, what's most important is that Gary Mason have a say. (laughs) Yes, we can't go without that. Uh, The Globe and Mail does not have an Indigenous columnist. Um, Hmm. I don't think they have any Indigenous journalists on staff at all at the moment. Somebody was tweeting that. I don't know. I I don't believe. For a while, they had the training program. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody writing for that paper at the moment. But Gary Mason, uh, close enough, he's in BC. And um, this is what he had to say. We'll start off with Gary Mason, because that's where Canadians got their first opinion take. And we're, we're here to talk about the media's take on this. Gary Mason, quote, So along comes a project that would help many of these poorer First Nations out, and it is opposed by some of those who are supposed to have the best interests of their community in mind. How are disadvantaged Indigenous groups ever going to get ahead if a few of their leaders undermine efforts that would improve their standard of living? And there is the not inconsequential question of who exactly is allowed to speak for Indigenous people. Is it hereditary chiefs or is it the elected band officers and councils who are often younger and more progressive in their thinking? So here I see like a very familiar narrative playing out from the Canadian media, which is like, it's just so complicated and Indigenous governance is so weird and wacky. And how are we to know who we're dealing with? And and if we're going to do nation to nation, uh, you guys got to get your act straight and speak with one collective voice. (laughs) Is this kind of like somebody saying like, you know, Trump saying one thing, Jeremy Corbyn saying another, when are you white people going to get your act together, sort out your shit and and speak with one collective voice? Yeah, I think that's certainly one way to look at it. I mean, when you read that, that could really be the summation of why you need more indigenous people in newsrooms uh, across the country, that <laughs> column uh, right there. Exhibit I, A, Gary Yeah, because, yeah. it, it, you know, it, it comes completely from the Canadian or colonial point of view. It really actually leaves very little space for indigenous realities or indigenous ideas around these things. And it struggles with these notions of who do we talk to and which, you know, if you know your history, you know, uh, the Canadian government historically wanted us, wanted you, wanted everyone, non-indigenous Canadians to always struggle with that notion because, of course, they created this issue under the Indian Act. You know, when we talk about bans and ban councils, those are Indian Act governments. Those are not how Indigenous nations here on Turtle Island governed themselves 
pre-Canada. That was asserted upon. And that was asserted because the government wanted one way to deal with all nations. So, and very colonial, right? Like, oh, we're in a a place where there's a multitude of nations, but we want to have dominion over you. So you're just going to have to do it this one way. And by the way, recognition from us requires that you do it this way. So any funding that you're going to get requires you to have this bound council structure. And it was Canada, of course, that made sure that those governance structures only had jurisdiction over the Canadian-created reservation system. Uh So the whole point was that nations ceased having, under these councils, under this governance structure, say over their traditional territories. Because as you might understand, Jesse, you know, Turtle Island is all traditional territory for indigenous people. Where you and I sit is traditional territory. So part of it is, well, you're going to have reservations. That's what you get. The stuff, uh, you know, I can tell you a story about my family, but like, you know, the stuff that lay beyond that, where your people have existed for, you know, millennia, that doesn't count under this system. So that column plays into that entire narrative. And oh, it's so confusing. It isn't really that confusing. And I and I struggle because again I think my point would be it's been purposefully made confusing through history. You know, when we struggle about governance or identity or all these sorts of issues where mainstream Canada doesn't understand, yeah, that's the point. And that's why you need indigenous peoples in your newsrooms, not just your newsrooms, in all sorts of venues in the media so that that bridge can be crossed. We can actually have higher level discussion than what's actually propositioned in that proposal uh, in that column where it's it's that's a very i mean ground level level understanding of canadian history canadian politics and what a nation to nation relationship would actually mean because of course if canada sent militarized police to you know the united states how would they perceive that on what they consider their sovereign territory well usually we call war. that war. Nation to nation, that gets brought up in a very nice way, but nation to nation relationships are often a nation invading another nation. That's called war. Yeah. So if we're going to consider this nation to nation. Okay. But I was one of those journalists sure. hitting the Wet'suwet'en Wikipedia page, trying to get like, because you've got the Wet'suwet'en Reserve that has that traditional, the terminology here can be very vexing, that has the asserted, formalized, recognized structure whereby the, the gas line can go and make a deal with the Wet'suwet'en. The band The band. But then you've got the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs who are on 22,000 square kilometers of traditional land, which is recognized by the court as being unceded territory. Yes. Look, I don't want to suggest that because you're the indigenous person in this room that you know about all things indigenous. I don't. Um, but do you? Because I need some help here. Well, I like, mean- Because, okay, sure. so you, my understanding of this is parked at, like, I still have questions, Jesse. So this isn't that reserve. The reserve you That's can go right. make a deal with. The reserve they did go make a deal with. Correct. This is unceded territory. It's recognized as unceded. It's not just the Wet'suwet'en people saying this is unceded. And by unceded, we mean never lost in war. Yeah. Never treated, right? Never given up. So there's no agreement- that this is actually even Canada. Right. So like that's the, I'm with you. that's the rub. I'm with you. And therefore, to send RCMP seems to be a violation of UNDRIP, the UN Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. You, you know, Indigenous people are not supposed to be removed from their own territory if we are to consider that Indigenous territory because it was never ceded. But the problem with that is that Vancouver itself is also unceded territory. So is Ottawa. 
So just to play Gary Mason for a second, does that mean that they could go and blockade, uh, you know, downtown Vancouver and, and consider that their land? And, yes. then, and then if we arrest them, then we're violating UNDRIP? Yes. That could be a problem in practical terms. Uh, great. Uh, uh, you know, how much of Canada is a problem for indigenous people in practical terms? Yeah. An enormous a part of it. Uh, look, you know, what I would say is when you point out places like Vancouver or Ottawa, where they erected giant palaces to the government of Canada on unceded Algonquin territory, you know, in complete honesty, what they point out to me is perhaps the illegality of Canada as a nation state that, you know, if you don't negotiate to be on this land, and if your existence is because of a passage of laws by another country, are you really a country? Like, how, what is your, what exactly, other than, than well, possession is now nine-tenths of, which again is a colonial sort of idea, and would only extend back to contact. Yeah. Because then we could argue, well, sure. for a long time, that would have worked in our favor, including when the original treaties were signed. So... Yeah, I, to me, that's what it points out. And that is always going to be, Jesse, the struggle with Canada and reconciliation and Canadians ever truly recognizing Indigenous sovereignty because it sort of points out that maybe Canada isn't like a technically legal entity. Okay, okay. Whoa, whoa. We're just trying to build a pipeline here, buddy. Um... <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that we're, you know, it's just going to happen again and again. And, and it's very nice to campaign on nation to nation and reconciliation. And, and you know, he got the tattoo. It's right there on his shoulder. Yeah. The, the, the Eagle has had a headline today about how it's trying to rip itself off of him and fly away. I believe that's true. This is, I guess, calling for, you know, like we got to return to the media stuff in a second. But what you're saying is that yeah. there's actually a meaningful, fundamental conversation about like that negotiation that never took place has to take place. But that's a huge undertaking that we haven't even, I mean, not everyone's even agreed that that's going to happen. And yet the wheels keep turning of other projects that put the lie to this nation to nation sure. business. Heavily armed Mounties removing indigenous people. That sort of is Canada. Like that, you know, that's literally the purpose of why the RCMP that, was yeah, that's founded. Right. That's the, the whole idea. Why do they need horses? Correct. <laughs> you know? So, you know, that's very Canadian. Like, that is as central to the Canadian story as it's actually, quite frankly, way more central than hockey or Tim Hortons. Like, right. that, it's that that allows hockey and Tim Hortons. It was also somewhat Canadian to have a uh, media exclusion zone. This is something that I think is uh, galling, but has become kind of common. Certainly around these, they do this all the time when it's Indigenous, uh, when they're sending in armed forces into an Indigenous territory, they do this all the time. You guys stand over here. You can't actually see what's going down as we rip these people off of their land. Rem remember, they tried it at Oka. Yeah. Uh, and the reason we have a very different understanding of that particular event is because Alanisa Bomsawin, an indigenous filmmaker, mm -hmm. was behind the lines, was with the people and shot everything. And without that, we would have been left with a the larger Canadian public would have been left with a very, very yeah. different understanding of that event, which, you know, it's interesting to when we see that, that all of the folks that talk about free speech and free expression really don't have anything to say when a government force literally cuts communications so that the people cannot see. Suddenly, they're nowhere to be seen. Well, let's just prioritize. We have sure. to make sure that Lindsay Shepard can show videos in her, in her, in her conference. <laughs> it's or, true. Know. That's what's important. 
there was a confirmed report that the media exclusion zone journalists had their Wi-Fi cut out at a certain point. It is unconfirmed whether or not that was the RCMP denies doing that. So we don't know what, you know, they said they had satellite issues. They had satellite yeah. issues. So if they're actually purpose, I mean, we got to see this. We have to see these things happening and we have a kind of shameful lack of coverage. And again, this was something that was going to happen. APTN knew it was going to happen. Yep. And when it was happening, there were people from the New York Times there, but Global and CTV we're using photographs shot by Michael Toledano, who is on scene, and he had to tweet and say, hey, uh, like, can you ask permission, please? And do I get paid for this? So they didn't have anyone there. So the New York Times can have people there, and APTN can have people there. I think that this is this does bring up, certainly, the larger issue of the lack of Indigenous journalists. You know, the Globe and Mail just announced that they are going to be setting up a permanent bureau in Thunder Bay. Yes. Uh, which is wonderful. That's great news. And I think it was Steve Faguet said, that's great, but shouldn't you also have a bureau in Quebec City? But, you know, that's another story. There should be a bureau in Thunder Bay. And, you know, I think that this is probably a result of the cumulative focus on Thunder Bay from Tanya Talaga, uh, from the various reports that have come out. Um, and uh, Well, from, you guys did the whole show. If we had something to do with it, I'm very glad as well. You know, in, in typical Canadian fashion, uh, David Walmsley, when announcing this to his staff, only cited their own journalism, which was about Adam Capay, the guy who was insulted. That's a great story. Sure. Uh, that yep. was, you know, fine, whatever. Put the bureau there. No mention of whether or not there's going to be Indigenous journalists at that bureau. But one hopes that they would not be so stupid as to not do that. So, you know, they need to bulk up on, yeah. their, on their Indigenous coverage. And, uh, you know, I need to bulk. I think, like, what is journalism but, like, having people who have thorough beat knowledge of, I mean, every politics are complicated. They're always complicated. And having people who can decode that and explain that is sort of the job so that you don't have to get Gary Mason, who is a, an opinionated ideologue blowhard with a very distinct point of view. And that's the only opinion you can proffer about, like, on, on this, what's, I think, becoming a national crisis. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I think the relationship between Indigenous peoples in Canada has been a national crisis since Canada. I think it, we're getting to a point where it's just simply impossible to ignore from a media standpoint. And we have to be brutally honest. It's social media that helped do that. You know, it's, it is the, and I wouldn't call it democratic, but certainly the at least access to social media has meant that there's just more indigenous voices over the last, you know, 10 years than there has ever been in any media point. And it makes it harder for the mainstream media to ignore, especially if they're going to get called to task, you know. And so, you know, even in my time at the CBC, when I started at the CBC back in 1996, you know, I could have counted on one hand yeah. the number of Indigenous journalists at the Broadcast Centre in downtown Toronto. That's certainly way different now. And I think that's good. I mean, I certainly for the CBC, I frankly think the public broadcaster has a very deep obligation on this. I think all those that were engaged in maybe creating the understanding or misunderstanding issue or the media issue we have, and I would include the CBC and pretty much all mainstream Canadian media in that, have an obligation. You know, this is, you know, the funny thing with that when we talk about this relationship, and as much as I think it is laughable when Trudeau says this is the most important relationship. I mean, it is, regardless of whether he says it, because again, Canada doesn't exist without mm -hmm. this relationship. So historically, now, in the future, it will always be the most important relationship Canada has. And certainly from my vantage point, there's a deeper desire on the part of Canadians to understand, to get what is happening, what is the history because, you know, again, Jesse, you don't know, but they didn't want you to know. 
right? So, like, can I fully blame you or journalists or Canadians for no, not knowing stuff that was never taught in history that where – At this point, you can. Sure. I'm a grown-ass man. You know? No, yeah, I agree. And, I, and I'm a big believer that ignorance is only an excuse once, and Canada's had more than its fair share of ignorance and, and opportunities on this. But that isn't solved overnight. Yeah. And it's certainly not rectified – with sending just more non-Indigenous peoples out into this. This is why, you know, my work at the Indigenous Screen Office is about getting more representation of Indigenous peoples in the media, not necessarily specifically journalism, but making shows, making movies, because I think over time that can change the dialogue, the change the perspective, and Indigenous peoples need it to change because this isn't... Uh, these aren't mind or thought experiments for us. All these things that happen, appropriation, sovereignty, these aren't like, oh, nice discussions to have as discourse or content. These are life and death things for us. Uh, you know, people are being arrested. People are being taken off their land. So we need we need the coverage to be better. We need it to be more representative, not just in journalism, but in all media, because we need a dramatic cultural shift in Canada to get us to the place where we can actually have with Canada, a very immature nation who's trying to relate to very mature nations, by the way, right? Like these are nations that have been around vastly longer. Like the, the Wet'suwet'en people's governance structure, that heredity, cherry, like yeah. that predates all notions of Canadian democracy by thousands of years. So you have a little tiny baby nation that is struggling to communicate with nations that are far, far older than it. We need to help Canada mature to get it out of diapers so it can start to have mature conversations around this and that Canadians can actually participate in a more informed way around these conversations. Because again, in Indigenous communities, of course, there's a varying difference of opinion. Of course, some will, will want pipelines and some won't. And resource extraction is an economic thing. Now, I would disagree with that column you read where, uh, you know, how are these disadvantaged or these poor communities ever supposed to get ahead? Well, why are they poor? You know, on last week's show where you had Rick Harp on, mm-hmm. you talked about the Robinson-Huron Treaty and the equalization, the payments, which, by the way, is the treaty my community falls under. Which is? The Serpent River First Nation, uh, which is where my family comes from. I was born in Toronto. Right. My family comes from, and I still have family there. They're one of the nations that falls under that treaty, getting that four bucks a year payment. Like, those treaties, broken, right, not lived up to are why the communities are poor. So for a columnist to sit there and say, well, how are these poor communities ever supposed to get if we don't run pipelines and extract all this stuff out of their territory, threaten their water systems, their ecosystems, all the stuff that has traditionally given them wealth, that's been where the wealth of these nations came from, the land. And cut them out of the deal. It's such a, I mean, even from a capitalist point of view, it's like, why should one people allow this for the benefit of another nation you know what I mean? Like, it's like, at least let the what's what of that 22,000 square kilometers, if they want that and they want to take the money, then they have to have a chance to do that. Then you have, a, exactly, you have, a, a, we make trade agreements with nations all the time. Yeah. You could make a trade agreement. Now, they may say no. And the, the truth is, colonial nation states, they hate that the most. No. Mm-hmm. You know, and frankly, we could boil it down to white men in general do not like no <laughs> as an answer to anything that they propose. We'll ask you the question, but just don't say no. Yeah, just don't say no. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, again, that's a mature relationship where one can say, no, let's discuss 
something yeah. else. And, you know, we, we need to be able to have that discourse. And, you know, that column in the Globe and Mail, that the general sort of struggle to cover this appropriately, and not that there hasn't been appropriate, like APTN's done a, a, an incredible job covering this from way beyond yeah. even that article you first read. You know, they've been covering this for years. Mm -hmm. You can go back and look at the coverage of when the camp was set up and everything. You know, but do average Canadians go to APTN? No. And that that's a big problem, you know, that we have, we are at least blessed to have a network that actually is embedded in this community, that is making this content, getting journalists out there. And yet they, they have to be carried on cable networks. Even with that, they're, they're not seen as much as they should be. They need the ability through a whole bunch of mechanisms to boost their signal. And we need public broadcasters who exist in relation to the public in a very different sort of way. We need them to do it too. And I would love it if the privates would feel obligated, but I would also be happy if they just felt, you know, because we know the stats around the hits CBC Indigenous gets. It's enormous, enormous. So, and you probably just, you just did a Thunder Bay podcast. Let me guess. Huge, huge, huge. huge. These stories are amazing and people want to hear them. This is the thing, yeah. you know, and we're in an industry, you know, I mostly work on the creative side, like the made up stories nowadays, but like, you know, that's an industry that's always like, well, where are we going to get these original stories? Like, yeah. where do we fill these, this content? And it's like, well, why don't you ask like different people and maybe you'll, you know, shocker. Some of this works. And that's the thing. Like your the podcast you guys did, there's a list of people who do this content and wow, people want to hear it. And I think or, or want to read it and ingest it. So I hope there's, you know, in a capitalist way, there should be a profit motive as well. Like this is important stuff. Canadians want to know it. The world, not just Canadians, the world is interested in these things. And that's not going away. Look what's going on in Brazil. Look at what Trump is doing and, and attacks on sovereignty, let alone the nonsense around Elizabeth Warren and all, all that that's going to Sure, bring. Standing Rock. And, uh, yeah. Like, none of yeah. this is going away. In fact, it's all going to get... It's a hot beat right now. Yeah. And you know why? Because history would tell us the project of global colonialism as launched by the British Empire and some of its other like-minded countries has come to a, a point where... Maybe it's collapsing back on itself. You know, it's not a coincidence that we have Brexit and Trump in the biggest colonial, historic colonial power and its biggest colony. It's not a coincidence that you see this, those nations struggle in the way, the, exactly the way they are, because we've never, in Canada, anywhere where it's colonial settler states, they've never reconciled. And I mean that not in the, let's build a new relationship. I mean, like, confronted their own history and actually admitted like you know what this was a whole heap of bullshit that happened for a long time maybe we are actually you know and you'll never get a state to say this maybe we are illegal maybe we need to fix this like yes everyone's here now and we're like this big power but shocker we founded our nations on violence and oppression and murder and genocide maybe that is coming back to haunt us because we're losing like the, the colonial project is going to fail in the end. And that's what we're going to have to confront. And that's where we're seeing these protectionist politicians and all this populism spring up because they realize like diversity was always going to win. Are you kidding? Nature is diverse. That's nature. We should long know that man trying to manipulate that is going to fail. So in that moment, when you have that, you need coverage, you need people in the media 
from all of the affected communities. Like, that's the thing, Jesse. It's not just indigenous people. Like, media companies need more. They need more everything just so that you're not, A, for them or for their own sake, so they don't look like idiots all the time or they're not struggling or they don't say something in this era that gets you fired from your job or something like that. And I'm not saying I support that, but those are realities. But also so you actually serve the purpose of journalism and media coverage, which is to try to get to the truth and try to have facts. And the, the biggest struggle with indigenous issues in Canadian media is they struggle with just the facts, like the, like what happened in the history of it. And we need to contextualize these things properly. If we're ever going to succeed I honestly believe this. If Canada's really ever going to succeed, it needs to sort of get this shit right. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Jesse, you revealed yourself to be a listener of this program. Yes, that I, means, I love uh, it. That means that you know Duly Noted. I do. And this was the this is my worst fear that we came to Duly Noted. You know those standalone segments, Jesse, on these shows—they always freak me out. I know it can be scary. I think you're gonna be just fine. Yeah. What do you have to Duly Note? Okay, a policy one, which is that this Friday, uh, January 11th, is the deadline for comments to the Broadcast Act review panel. Uh, if you'll remember, Jesse, the federal government called for a review of the Broadcasting and Telecommunications Acts mm-hmm. uh, a while ago. The original deadline was in December, and thankfully everyone who is submitting to one of these protested and we had it moved to 11th. I say that because uh, I'm submitting one on behalf of the uh, Indigenous Screen Office. And while we won't know you know, the, the results of this review panel, they'll re- release a preliminary report 
uh, later this year and then the full report in 2020. And it is true, by then we'll have had an election. So whatever government could just decide to completely disregard this, the Broadcasting and Telecommunications Acts are very important legislation in Canada. They're why we have telecommunications and broadcasting that is independent from America, uh, especially. This could be really um, ecosystem changing, environment changing for the media industry of all sorts, not just journalism, but all the all the movies and TV and, and radio, as well as the telecommunication infrastructure that underpins all of that. We could see really dramatic changes over the legislation and the policy that then follows out of that legislation uh, over the next couple of years because of that uh, review. And what are you hoping to get? Well, I'm hoping that the, you know, in the current Broadcast Act, the only reference to Indigenous peoples is, uh, it says, Aboriginal broadcasting should be supported, comma, when funds become available. Ah. And so certainly my big part, Jesse, will be funds should be available now. Duly noted. I have one. Okay. While we're on the topic of uh, government media policy, yeah, I would like to uh, I'd like to turn over to a recent video by uh, by one Andrew Shear. Justin Trudeau is doubling down on his bailout of the media. They're trying to buy off media outlets with a payout package. What's worse, Trudeau's Liberal government will get to appoint whoever they want to a special panel that will make decisions on which companies get money and which don't. Trudeau should not be the one deciding which media outlets survive and which will be allowed to fail, especially in an election year. A healthy democracy relies on an independent press, one that is free from political influence. Many in the media probably won't be influenced, but the optics and perception of receiving a big cash payout from the Liberals in an election year cannot be ignored. This conflict of interest created by Trudeau's media payout is simply unacceptable. This is a threat to a free and independent press, full stop. Wait a minute, isn't, isn't, did you write his copy? I, I, I want to duly note that I agree with <laughs> Andrew Shear. Oh my God. I agree with Andrew Shear. Or maybe he's agreeing with me. It does sound a lot like stuff I've said. Like, I would check your podcast downloads, uh, <laughs> see if you can identify, because that sounded a lot like some of the shows I've heard on this uh, network. I'm down with dimples. Um <laughs> But I like the production. That's like he's just tinkling the ivories there. Oh, I thought that was something that yeah. you should consider stealing back from him. I mean, <laughs> I mean, quid pro quo. Uh, let's get some uh, some of that that light jazz behind you. Uh, yeah. So there we have it. Um, that was a part of a conservative fundraiser that was dropped uh, over the holiday break. Didn't get a lot of attention, but I, I you know, I, I agree with him. I agree with him. How, how does that how does that make you feel? Weird, weird. Um, no, like it's fine. I know that. I mean, obviously, this is not something that a conservative government would have done. Though I, I suspect that if it's put in place, it's something that any conservative government will keep. Hmm. I think once it's there, it's it ain't going away. You know, what you know what I'm curious to see is yeah. is is this going to be a a drum he'll continue to beat? Like you know, it it was worth one you know call for cash, but is this something that they're gonna they're gonna run on this? I don't know. No, I mean, I think they've got. Immigration is probably going to be their big, you know, the talking points for so many of the conservative leaders in Canada seem to be crib notes from, you know, what they see on the nightly news from down south. So uh, I think they see immigration. They see the 
the guy down there is clearly going to run on immigration. That's his big yep. whole thing. I think they see it as a winning thing. So I think it's only I think you're lucky that you only have this connection for this uh, one moment, Jesse. But at, at another point, I, I would love to discuss your your stance on this uh, this bailout and, and how it works, because, yeah, it's it's interesting where we end up. I have a sense you have a different point of view, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that. You're gonna come back and talk about yeah, that with me. Let's do it. All right. Duly noted. Kim Motherfucking Campbell. <laughs> ah, finally, <laughs> some serious news on this show. He really is a motherfucker. She tweeted. Well, she asterisked out the the U and the C. I know. We shouldn't point that out though. Like she didn't even say it. Yeah. She kind of walked. Well, she walked it back in that she was saying, "Oh, I was just referencing." what the congresswoman said, and and then she deleted it. But she stood by it. Now, this is a former prime minister who, I will remind everyone, it got a lot less media attention. But this isn't the first time that she has lashed out, basically brought disgrace to her office through her potty mouth, really. I am referring, of course, <laughs> to an earlier tweet where she called me a wingnut. <laughs> I so, missed that one. This is part of a pattern, people. <laughs> Well, did she? But did she asterisk out the you? No, she didn't. Oh no. Oh, she you, was. No, she. You said have it. every right to be upset. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My response: I'll remind people. Uh, I just get to remind people of your jokes and comebacks. <laughs> yes. Uh, I said, you know, it's you know what? Back. It's a callback. I said, you know what? I'm not really a wingnut, and you were never really the prime minister. So. <laughs> oh wow. No, Singer. not really worth. Yeah. Okay. I dug this, of course. Yeah. I dug this unchained Kim Campbell. She was never really chained, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Speaking of Andrew Shear, I'm like, you know what? Tao is Shear. They should run Kim Campbell. Like, Kim Campbell. Oh, should, like, she might be very electable in this moment. <laughs> You're very right. I don't know how all this works, but they should just do that. Anyhow, I was just interested to see how this played out. In our, like, it was just a tweet. It's I think it was absolutely fine because he really is. I mean. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, if yeah. we're going to fact check this tweet. Well, he is a motherfucker. Well, so what are to we? the extent that, to our knowledge, he has not had sexual intercourse. Okay, with sure, his not mother. literal. I'm going to Daniel Dale this. Um, but but yeah. let's be honest. Like most people, do not use that word in the literal <laughs> meaning. In the colloquial application <laughs> yes. of motherfucker, he is a motherfucker. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm totally into a former prime ministers just saying things like that. That's fine with me. And everyone, everyone's monocle like should it be the monocle falling out? Should it be the, the the pearls that are clutching? Tarek Fatah, she's disgracing herself. All these conservatives, ah, oh, the office of the prime minister is besmirched by this. I don't believe you. I don't believe you that you really are affronted by this loss of dignity to the prime minister's office. Uh, I, I, it's just a partisan bit of hackery. It was interesting to me how the American media picked this up. Newsweek, whenever they have to do a Canada story, they just reveal how little they know about us. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, we're always grateful for the attention, but they need to kind of like, okay, both sides this. So who do they get to, you know, bring quotes against Kim Campbell? Dean Del Mastro. <laughs> Dean Del Mastro. Simply unacceptable, he said to Newsweek. And Kim Campbell uh, shot back again a pretty fiery one. She says, can you find somebody who was not convicted of electoral fraud? Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and then they embedded she, hey, some- She's got the Twitter uh, going. Yeah, she, she, her Twitter game is strong. Yeah. And then they embedded some Ezra Levant tweets. Like, do they even know who they're, you know, decontextualized as to who this is? And I mean, when American media has to do Canada stuff, like, you know, the foreign policy magazine asked me to write for them. That shows you how little they know <laughs> about who's who in the zoo when it yeah. comes to covering Canada. I mean, this is such nothing. I mean, I, I you know, I'd be curious 
in for me anyway, like I'm trying to think of an activity that would bring discredit to the like I'm trying to think of anything you could do that I would somehow feel an affront to the prime minister's I guess no, not even murder because like again that's uh, been been there done that been there done that maybe so John A baby uh I I sort of shrug my shoulders I mean I you know I think all of them did the exact same thing which she was likely to do which is this is a Twitter game and let's get views and whatever and the fact that you have do you even think she cares about views? Like, I, I just think she's kind of speaking her mind. She's like, maybe this, this, and, this and fuck it, Kim Campbell. Like, what you know? Which is great that she's doing that on Twitter. I mean, for all of us to see, I guess. Uh, I mean, I, I tend not to think that, you know, Twitter is not some. You have to go on there and type it out. Yeah. Like, it's not accidental. So I always like to assign some purposefulness to what people tweet out because it's not you weren't overheard saying something. But I also think it points out that, like, you know. All of us really just wish on maybe not the cursing because, you know, that gets old and it's but we do just wish our politicians would just speak their minds and be real and not always running or campaigning sure. or having that permanent thing on because we need to be led by humans. And I think part of the challenge for all politicians and media is to come off like they're like just last night, I don't know if you watched that uh, Trump address and the follow-up. I did. Yeah. Like, did anyone appear to be human at all involved in that from any angle? You know, no. <laughs> I, I thought that we were watching, like, some bizarro Muppet show. And, and I don't want that from any stripe of leader. Like, conservatives, I just wish they would just be themselves. We'll be us. Let's have human discussions. Yeah. Not... Don't pretend. Don't pretend. And, and you know, like the reason why I and many loved when Romeo Saganash stood up and cursed in the House of Commons was because like, oh, my God, the guy, would, yeah. the guy had a human moment as a politician. Like, what a breath. It's just air. It's I don't even know if it's fresh air. It's air. Yeah. And and, and I welcomed it. And, uh, you know, I wish they could be. More and any criticism around civility and all of this nonsense when it comes to that guy is you're talking in circles like that. This is not uh, civil. Uh, and in fact, I would charge media covering these things. That's where the incivility lies. Like, why is this on any part of your landing page or headline? Like, check yourself. Well, a I'm, I'm, bit. I'm glad that you bring it back to, uh, to media. I mean, it's one thing that the Canadian politics is obsessed with decorum and civility. If a former American president was motherfucker this, motherfucker that on Twitter, you better believe that that former president would have his own CNN talk show. Like, <laughs> if he's ready to let it fly, like, Kim Campbell's ready. Yes. And, and everyone's you're, like, no, no, no. So right. No, 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 no. Kim Campbell, if you want a podcast, this is one wingnut who is ready to give you one. I am all about Kim Campbell. <laughs> Bring the noise. Duly noted on that. Jesse, that is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Thank you very much. Oh, this has been so great. Everybody, you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send me. Our Twitter account is at CanadaLand. Jesse, Wenty, where can people find you? A whole bunch of places. Maybe they shouldn't seek me out, but you can find me on Twitter at, at Jesse Wenty. Check out the Indigenous Screen Office at ISOVA on, uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. And, um, you know, occasionally I show up on CBC Radio. We have a website. It is called CanadaLandShow.com. And there you could find, uh, we just published a guide to the new popular populist partisan media. And also, there's an episode of Commons this week. That, you know, Jesse, there's only been one guy ever 
who has done jail time in Canada for insider trading, and he is on Commons this week. And oh, wow. it's, it's a fascinating story. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication of Canada Land is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you would like to receive versions of all of our podcasts without advertisements on them, you can support us at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Please do. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.